Hello and welcome to the BL podcast. I am Nivedita Varadarajan. Just as we are moving on from one period of uncertainty, we are moving into another thanks to Russia's military operation in Ukraine. How does this impact the global economy and how does this affect India? I have with me Crystal's principal economist Deepthi Deshpande to help us understand the issue better. Thank you so much for joining us today Deepthi. Thank you Nivedita, entirely my pleasure. Deepthi as I just mentioned we are moving from one period of uncertainty to another. Is there any difference between the uncertainties brought by the COVID-19 pandemic and the uncertainties brought by this current conflict? Yes, I think that's a <clears throat> nice way to really look at it. I feel um looking at both of this, I think they get categorized more so as events or shocks that are creating uncertainties. It's difficult to really devise scenarios one doesn't know when it's going to end. I think that is what makes the two similar. Broadly if you'd go to see, you know, economies as we know were on the cusp of recovery. and these uncertainties are very broadly aggravated uh, uh, each each uncertainties aggravated the uh, unknowns that are there up out there so when for instance covid initially came in we know that it hit demand because people chose to stay home etc and over time supplies but what that did is that again when there was a recovery demand seemed to recover faster because of fiscal policies especially in other countries etc where supplies took time to catch up so that disequilibrium largely led to inflation inflation leading to monetary policy action etc and now if you see the shocks have only been building over time as you rightly said covid is uh, is down it's not the foremost concern uh, at the moment the geopolitical strife um, is but that's added more to the risk and now i believe it's hitting uh, the real and the financial economies simultaneously you know so take if taking a moment out of that covid hit real economy first monetary policy action ended up hitting financial economy uh, directly and now it's a mix of both of these which are bearing the shock of the geopolitical strife so um with you talked about inflation a little bit now this is the supply side uh, supply side side which is getting hit right so how is there a difference how can the governments all over the world and in india uh, balance the two we have issues already in the supply how is this going to make it worse yes that's right i think see um, again i'd say we were on the cusp of the drivers of inflation shifting from being supply side led to demand side so because we are seeing recovery simultaneously although the pace is slow there is some recovery happening broad basing of growth strengthening of demand so ideally what was expected up until a month or two back was that there are these supply side issues but they are gradually easing and one did know when the supply side constraints would get eased eventually but it was the catch up of demand side uh, pressures on inflation currently being felt in economies like the eurozone and us and was being ex- was expected to be felt in an economy like india down the couple of quarters and therefore central banks were reacting you know so if the supply side shock was just a month or two or you know very episodic in nature central banks wouldn't have reacted but because they knew this shift was coming and the uh, supply side issues were actually getting prolonged for a, for quite some time they had to react now with demand constraints coming into i think the reactions will be more faster so for instance the us fed was not expected to be so rapid in terms of its tapering and rate hikes 6 months back we didn't expect tightening to be as fast 
Similarly, with what's, what ECB has announced just recently, I mean, uh, in the last 24 hours, we didn't expect them to tighten uh, uh, monetary policy so fast. So I think all of that means that monetary policy has to react to both of these. And at the moment, they have to react by way of tightening. Unfortunately, the tightening is coming when recoveries are quite fragile in nature, specifically when we speak about emerging markets like India. Just because the Fed is tightening the, uh, tightening the supply of the cash at hand, but there's an actual issue with the supply of commodities like crude oil and sunflower. How will this affect that? So, for instance, uh, uh, if you look at the U.S. economy, like I said, there are supply side constraints, not just from commodity prices, oil prices. There are labor shortages in the U.S., which is pushing up wages. So what's happening is and the amount of fiscal stimulus that ha that had been pumped in. So demand side inflation remains strong. And plus, when you have supply constraint led inflation, which remains elevated for a long period of time, then inflationary pressures become persistent. And that is what uh, that is what the um, uh, U.S. Fed wants to cut down or curtail. So that's the reaction to it. How will this affect the recovery of the global economy? So I think, you know, when you look at monetary policies tightening, when we look at uh, fiscal policies gradually tightening, the impact they were expected to have, the exit from easy policies was expected to have, was gradual slowdown of global growth. So for instance, in 2021, we saw global growth go up by about 5.7% or so. And over a period of time, growth was going to come down to say 3.2% in 2024, etc. So that mm. was understood and that was known. I think what the recent tensions are doing is that they are uh, uh, cutting down or they're uh, resulting into some sort of a demand compression over time, which is expected to bring down global growth a little more faster than was earlier anticipated. In fact, just two days back, um, if you go to see S&P Global cut down its world GDP growth forecast by about 70 basis points. It was brought down to 3.2% or so. And most of it was, of course, led by Russia. But you also see a lot, a large part of that revision coming in from uh, uh, downsides to growth in US and a number of Eurozone economies. Now, the worry for a country like India, for instance, is that we don't, we may not trade directly as much with, say, uh, Russia or Ukraine, but our trade with US and Eurozone is large. Hmm. So the spillovers in terms of growth is as much for a country like India as it is for others. So speaking of India Inc., what will be the exact impact on the corporate India? So um, I'm taking a leaf out of the you know uh, study that's done by our uh, industry research team. I think broadly they're expecting uh, uh, growth to be strong, but uh, given the high base of last year, the revenue growth, for instance, is going to look a little more softer. But okay. I think it's the internals which matters. For instance, large part of the revenue growth last year, they believe, came in because of price uh, 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 of the price effect, specifically in sectors like metals, etc. But this time, they're expect, expecting quite a bit of broad basing of growth coming in from volume growth in a couple of segments. I think the impact that uh, these tensions and global growth slowdown could have is, like I said, one through the exports channel, but also fact that input prices have been high and uh, manufacturers have found it difficult to pass them on to consumers because consumption demand itself is uh, uh, weak and therefore the pricing power remains uh, uh, low. So I think there is some impact on margins that is expected this year.
will we expect prices for the consumers to go up and will that affect the demand is that something that industrialists will have to keep in mind um yes i think so so you know because for instance if you look at the kind of demand recovery in india one is that it's slow not just after the pandemic but that has been happening even before the pandemic hmm. second is there are you know uh, segments in the economy which have not yet seen recovery specifically those that uh, depend on jobs and the contact based service segments etc so for them recovery remains still weak and if you look at the nature of inflation in india it's you know high inflation in necessities per se be it food or be it fuel etc wherein they are forced to uh, uh, pay as much so i think uh, um, that definitely has an impact on crimping uh, uh, demand and if at all high prices continue to you know uh, um, uh, you know make it difficult um, i think it will end up affecting demand in couple of these segments which are otherwise expected to um, you know see recovery this year um i just wanted to talk a little bit more about inflation inflation in india is already very high right and the rbi is we are already breaching the rbi uh, their inflation target limit correct what can the rbi do if the inflation remains high for a longer period of time um well honestly there's very little that the rbi can do to bring down inflation except mm-hmm. for raising rates and uh, that's not something which is ideally uh, uh, you know uh, desirable at this point because demand is picking up it's uh, uh, you know demand recovery is weak so we wouldn't want higher interest rates uh, you know spoiling the game on that front but i think given the rbi stool given its mandate etc the only thing that rbi can actually do is react in terms of raising repo rates so the way we are looking at it is that we are expecting consumer price inflation to Uh, you know average at 5.4% in fy23 it's as firm as we expected to be in this fiscal at around 5.3% uh, or so and given that uh, so we are going with the assumption of crude oil prices averaging at 85 to 90 dollars per barrel for the entire fiscal and under this assumption we are going with a 50 to 75 basis points rate hike in the repo now at this point uh the rbi's forecast for inflation that was given a month back early feb before the tensions began mm-hmm. was a good 100 basis points below you know crisel's forecast and uh, um, therefore i think the extent of rate hikes in that uh, assumption would be lower but i think rbi will do some rethinking now given that commodity prices oil prices are high and they're likely to be high for a couple of months till there's deescalation of um, uh, um the tensions so what can the indian government do um see i think there we have to be a little uh, realistic in in terms of what to expect right now what we are seeing is that prices have been uh, oil prices have been going off the roof but not significant hikes have been seen in petrol and diesel for instance lpg we did see and uh, a large part of that was perhaps because of the uh, election scenario uh, on ground but i think with that now uh, you know um, uh, behind us Uh, we should start seeing hikes in retail prices our industry research team believes about a 10 rupees increase in petrol and diesel prices is expected so uh, um, given how oil prices have behaved so i think what the government can do is do some sort of a um, you know sharing the burden with the consumer uh, if price retail prices have to go up 
then they may uh, consider or rather they should consider cutting the excise duties uh, on some of these fuels. The last cuts were seen in November. Further cut of cut in excise duties can actually relieve the consumer of some of the burden. And I think on the fiscal side, at the moment, uh, you know, assuming that all of these tensions de-escalate, there is uh, some room in terms of allowing excise duty cuts. Um, but it's not only oil prices, which is, uh, which is high. Commodity prices are increasing. There's already going to be pressure because Russia and Ukraine are major food producers, especially Russia makes a lot of wheat. India might also have to export some of its wheat and we import a lot of uh, edible oil from Ukraine. So food inflation is also increased. What can the government do about that? Yeah, so see on the food inflation, uh, currently we are not as worried because um, <clears throat> luckily it's going to be the seventh year in a row of normal monsoons. Of course, timeliness, spread, etc. needs to be monitored. But assuming no monsoons are normal, we have had good production. Normal monsoons will support good production. We have buffer stocks, which can be released into the markets if prices are seen going up. Uh, in fact, uh, um, wheat production has been strong. And if, in mm. fact, we can export them, it's going to, uh, we are already exporting wheat. I think it's only going to benefit the farmers. In terms of edible oils, what I understand from our, um, you know, agri analysts is that while we are dependent on Ukraine for edible oil imports, it can be substitutable by uh, substituted by some other oil imports, uh, edible oil imports from other countries. So it's just very episodic, and we uh, need not be dependent on Ukraine. And I think from that perspective, the shock expected to food inflation in the base case is not as much. I think what worries us a lot more is that if commodity and oil prices stay very high, then they could easily percolate into fuel inflation and also core inflation through uh, you know, manufacturers passing on prices. So that's really the part that worries us a lot more now. Is the government's policy of wait and watch the right approach for right now? Perhaps, yes. I think in terms of wait and watch, I think, um, they, like I said, they could do something on the excise duty front to provide relief. But other than that, yes, because, you know, they have uh, done away with fuel subsidies now and they're mm. definitely not expected to go down that path. So there's very little the government can directly do at the moment to cushion the impact of oil prices on the um, Indian economy. Do you think the government will go back to oil bonds? Um. See, looking at their intention in the last one to two uh, years of bringing all kinds of spending and borrowing onto the budget, in the base case, again, we are not expecting to go or them to go ahead with, uh, you know, issuing oil bonds, etc. But again, like I said, we'll have to see how long this continues. Oil prices at 100 for a month or two are not as detrimental to the economy. I mean, what we need to keep in mind is that in FI21, oil prices average 45. FI22, they averaged around 78 or 79. And mm. from there, our expectation is that they'll average around, say, 87, 88 or so. So it's ideally not a very big pickup. There is some base effect to it already. It's been spread over a period of one to two years. So this is very different from the FI12 to 14 you know, period when we saw oil prices at 100 and 110 for three consecutive years. So I think it's okay for the government right now to go in for a wait and watch approach. And now base case, we are not expecting them to really, like I said, go ahead with oil bond issuances, etc. For now, they'd rather wait to see how long, um, uh, you know, oil prices stay this high. So you spoke 
about 2014 which brings me to my next question we mm-hmm. saw several crises in the past with regard to high oil prices be it, uh, in 2008 because of the financial crisis in the us or in 2014 because of the uh, russia ukraine uh, crimea crisis and even the iran sanction and even if we go all the way back to the gulf war there has been a lot of fluctuations in the prices of oil mm-hmm. what can we learn from this um yeah i think uh, one or two key things that come to mind is number one is we need, really need to see uh, from where oil prices are going up mm-hmm. like i said it's been a you know staggered pick up in oil prices over the last uh, two years it's not that they were at 45 and they've uh, risen to 100 and stayed there so that's number one secondly mm-hmm. if we've seen oil prices this high now for the last couple of weeks it's important to see how long they stay that high if they stay high for the entire fiscal yes then they can have a disruptive impact on most of our macros but if it's for a month or two i think uh, it's not uh, so uh, detrimental the other thing is also when oil prices are going up it's important to evaluate how the macro situation per se is so for instance if i just take you to you know the fy 14 period or so we were already in a situation where a lot of the policies that had been undertaken at that time had creating created a couple of uncertainties so fiscal stimulus had been high as a result of which we had our current account deficit imports etc already significantly high fiscal deficit was high inflation was already very high for instance if you look at core inflation around that time i believe it was about 9% or so compared to that it's 6% now protein inflation had led to food inflation being high now while overall macros in the economy were weak at that time an additional external shock coming in the form of oil prices hit almost all ma- uh, all uh, 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 macros uh, um, you know uh, uh, quite severely if you compare that situation with now i think things are very different inflation is worrisome but why is it worrisome is that it's above central bank's target or close to central bank's target of uh, the range of 4 to 6% or so but it's significantly not in double digits like we saw then again fiscal deficit is high but it's on a consolidating path and then you know current account deficit etc is after all pretty well um, uh, in the comfort zone of 2 to 2.2% or so so overall in case of an oil price shock i think it's important to, to look at how our macro situation is and from that perspective we are not in such a bad situation now so therefore you'd see that our base case forecasts are actually not so bad assuming oil prices at the levels i mentioned uh, i would like to um, close off this with two questions the first one is on the budget mm-hmm. to me the budget was high, highly infrastructure centric which is a good thing but isn't it a bit too long term i i agree as in to be honest just a couple of before the budget uh, you know we had the uh, full year data for fy22 come the advanced estimates and one of the most important things that it highlighted is that while, uh, while all segments of the uh, economy had picked up to pre pandemic levels private consumption was the single uh, most uh, laggard segment and therefore the expectations and the hope that this per, uh, budget would stray a little away or deviate a little from what they'd been doing in the last 3 to 4 years and emphasize a little more on consumption while keeping you know the eye on medium term there but i think mm-hmm. uh, the the government if you'd go to see ended up or the budget ended up putting again all its weight uh, you know behind 
uh, capex and i believe their intention was to set off this virtual cycle virtual cycle wherein government capex would lead to private capex etc but i think our assessment is that what it missed was there needs to be a bridge between the uh, you know uh, uh, near term and the medium term and that bridge required some consumption raising measures to uh, you know address inequalities uh, support some of the informal segments which where incomes etc have been hit etc so the lift in the consumption cycle now gets tied to an overall pickup in growth which is going to be very gradual so while you know pursuing this path is going to help enhance the growth potential bring durability to medium term growth etc the flip side is that in the short term it's going to lead to growth which is very slow and uh, um, gradual in nature but <clears throat> having said that i i see one silver lining and in the sense that for example if you look at the capex plans or the capex measures per se they've been taken in order to provide higher allocation to segments like affordable housing narega rural roads creation creation of uh, construction of highways etc and if you notice these are employment generating in nature so one way the government can work around this is by front loading these expenditures so at least some of the gains from the consumption drive can be preponed i think that's one way that we can now work around with the budget that we have in place so what are some of the shorter term measures they can do right now but which is not in the budget i think in the budget is definitely um, uh, go ahead with excise duty uh, cuts that would be absolutely immediate and will percolate uh, uh, right through into the economy any kind of relief on inflation is absolutely called for um, in a situation where uh, you know consumer demand remains very weak so that is something they should do um, <clears throat> over time i think like i said um, they've not really specifically called out for preponement of these expenditures which i mentioned but doing so you know doing most of it in q1 and q2 can benefit and help uh, uh, you know segments the third thing which is out of the budget etc is just giving a big push to the vaccination drive and covering uh, most of the population as soon as is possible because we've seen now we you know a full vaccinated population is about 50% of total but what's seen is that we need to you know get higher vaccination coverage because uh, globally it's been seen that as we have higher vaccination coverage the durability of growth in any segment and the uh, probability of any additional wave hitting economic activity gets lessened so i think these mm. three things can clearly be done so finally i want to ask you about what we can look forward to in this fiscal what's crystal's outlook for this fiscal and the years ahead um sure i think when we are looking at uh, um gdp growth our forecast is at 7.8% for fiscal 2023 the way to look at this is that um early january we were looking at some upsides to that number because the third wave had been contained faster than uh, was earlier expected but i think this the the recent conflicts etc have and the impact on uh, overall uh, world gdp growth has again you know uh, brought some downside so that therefore we've kept that number at 7.8% now this is a little slower than the current year's 8.9% that is uh, uh, released by the government but it's expected to be growth is expected to be a little more uh, broad based because you know the good news is that a number of lagard sectors like travel tourism recreation 
um, entertainment, etc. All of these are going to benefit from whatever vaccination coverage we've seen so far. So they will participate in the growth uh, recovery story. Broadly, you know, if I may say, what are the two, two, three drivers that will push growth? Exports is certainly uh, one that we, in our base case, do believe will support, and government capex. Um, but for a full-fledged recovery, it's also true that private capex needs to pick up. So some of that will definitely come by next year, especially in sectors which complement government spending, like cement, steel, etc., and also a few from you know the PLI-supported segments. But like I said, for overall growth to recover faster and sustain, it has to be private consumption that needs to revive. And that is, uh, you know, where the pain point is. Um, before I end, it's also given, you know, the situation, it's important to talk about risks to our growth forecast. And I think there are risks on three accounts. First is that if the um, ongoing tensions don't see a de-escalation soon, and they further hurt global growth, then that can soften uh, exports. Second is any fiscal pressure, uh, uh, either by way of you know, growth coming down and impacting tax revenues or the government required to take more hits on excise duties, et cetera, could impact the government's ability to pursue capex like they uh, had envisioned in the budget. And finally, I think rising input costs can impact the value-added component of GDP, uh, uh, producer margins, et cetera, on the whole. So I think these are the risks that loom over the horizon and we will need to keep monitoring them as developments unfold. Thank you so much for joining us today, Deepthi. Thank you, Nivedita. That was Deepthi Deshpande, Crystal's principal economist, talking to us about some of the pressing economic matters globally and how it affects India. Be sure to follow Business Line's website for all the latest news and updates. Until the next time, this is Nivedita signing off.